All right. It's been a while, all right? It's been okay. a, the judge. The judge has got to get his gavel back together. He's, <laughs> I need to emerge from my chambers, as it were. <laughs> hey, it's, uh, it's Judge Movie. Welcome to Judge 2018 uh, with me, Ben Flanagan. And me, Alicia Izumi. Uh, welcome back, guys. It's uh, it's been a little little break. Um, it's been busy times uh, in court, uh, but we thought figured we'd give you a year wrap up for 2018 and figure out whether or not it's been a good year for movies. I mean, I'm pretty. Uh, I, I feel like this has been an absolutely stacked year for cinema with loads of incredible movies and loads of stuff to talk about. Uh, how did you feel about the year? Uh, I'm a little less enthusiastic on the films themselves. There have been a few that have stood out to me. There's nothing... There have been very few five-star films for me, but definitely a lot of promising three and four stars. But I'm a little... Yeah, feeling a little whatever about it. It's been an exciting year, but, you know. It's been really exciting, and that's what we're going to do. Rather than just giving you, like, a boring top ten list like every other uh, podcast, we're going to... Uh, sort of weigh up some of the major events that have happened in the conversation around some of these movies and see uh, uh, sort of scientifically or legally whether or not this was a good year for for cinema. We're going to each contribute five cases or five pieces of evidence to to see whether or not 2018 has been worth it. And then at the end, uh, we're going to be giving you our best film and our most promising films of 2018. Yeah, we can't resist giving you, like, you know, the, the ultimate, the crown one. I don't even know what your number one is yet, so we'll... That's... I, don't, I don't know either. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to have to pick one at the end, end of the end of the podcast. <laughs> it is Love, Simon, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, you'll have to stick around to find out. On Judge Movie. What's your first uh, case for 2018? Um, well, first one is a little bit of a of a nitpicky thing that's been bothering me recently. Um, okay. I'm feeling a little frustrated about the number of lists that are coming out so early in end of November, beginning of December, um, listing their best of 2018 films. Um, you know, what about... What about the films that are released at the end of December? What if someone sneakily releases something, you know, like Netflix dropping Bird Box, dropping Bandersnatch? Um, and I feel like people aren't giving Bumblebee a real chance to uh, to, <laughs> to, to, to be in the 2018 conversation. Um, even Holmes and Watson, you know, they've come out um, with no critic screening uh, on Boxing Day. And people are saying that that's avoiding being on the worst of 2018 list because cause no one's seen it. Yeah, I mean, sidebar, Bandersnatch, not a movie, it's, it's a TV show. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you. I think there's always like a race to be the first person to to create that list so that you can have sort of the most clout of like, well, I put Roma at number one before anyone else did, as if, you know, as if that wasn't kind of where the whole critical consensus was going anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you always see that with like the, the, the sort of preamble to the Oscar... Um, like uh, award bodies, don't you? Um, yeah. 
the critics groups and, and the first people. And I, I guess that's what kind of encourages it. But I, I do agree with you. It's not even the surprise drops, but like big movies come out in December. Like Vice and is only just dropped uh, and and uh, Mary Poppins. Like, are they not 2018 movies? Yes, definitely. Um, I feel like in yeah, in the rush to think of, to to get there first, you're kind of already feeling like the year has ended, and you're not considering December as part of 2018. Um, as my uh, my uh, as my boy Mike D'Angelo said, um, basically the year now ends on the 30th of November, and this is a limbo month of December. It feels like nothing even matters anymore. Interesting. I mean, nothing matters anymore. <laughs> um, we are in a permanent cinema limbo. Um, yeah, I feel like yeah, you gotta wait. You gotta wait till January before you get really reflective. But I guess for some some critics who've already you know seen everything on screeners or or in the press showings earlier, and they know that this is the time of the year when a lot of people are going to be sitting down and actually catching up with some of the movies that they might have missed. Like they they're kind of doing a service because if they can put out these lists of the best movies of the year, and then you can catch up before the end of the year, like they they might have got in there a bit early, but they're still doing a, a job, yes. even if they're uh, yeah, you know. Yes, I think it, it does make sense for the publications to start doing it in in December. Um, but you know, I mean, the biggest the biggest perpetrator of this is Spotify. Uh, which isn't quite <laughs> movie culture, but you know they're offering users their end of year stats. When you know, what about my plays in December? What about the number of times I listen to, uh, you know, the, the, those other songs that I listen to in December? Mm-hmm. They got it. Yeah, yeah that, twenty eighteen. I mean, definitely. Like that is a real one where like there's actual data to to be mined there. That's kind of been yeah. accurately done. Yeah. I remember when. Um, uh, D'Angelo to stick with music for a second although we are judge movie not judge music uh, D'Angelo <laughs> put out his uh, latest album in at the end of 2014 after all the lists had come out uh-huh. and then in 2015 all of the magazines put it in their top 10 and I was like oh. uh, it definitely came out in 2014 like, <laughs> I, I remember it being out then yeah. so like, um yeah, I, I'm. I'm convinced. We're recording this on the 29th. I'm convinced Ariana Grande is going to release something on like New Year's Eve just to mess with everyone's everyone's lists. Yeah. Um, yeah. We got to see what I, these last few days of 2018 have in store for us. You think she's specifically doing it to <laughs> destroy 2018 rather than to get a head start on 2019? I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, if she can break another record, she'll have two titles for 2018. That would be. Interesting, wouldn't it? Oh, was she the biggest album of this year? Yeah, she she broke. I can't remember them specifically, but she broke a lot of records in terms of uh, downloads and streams and views and things this year. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> this isn't judge music. This is judge movie, yeah. and uh, I I've got to agree with you. I think the year ends on the thirty first of December. And, you know, you, you've got to get it out a bit earlier, but 30th of November to be putting out your list, really in the first 10 days of December, I'd say, is like, well, too early. Too early, yeah. Um, yeah. You can you put think? out your Christmas film list then. <laughs> yeah. You need a list. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, maybe that's just the whole problem of capitalism, because you've got to be first, 
to get the first mm-hmm. rush and uh, maybe that's that's the real problem yeah um I, th- I think there's maybe a more of a problem with like all these lists looking completely identical do you think definitely yes you it's know, not i, I mean it's... <laughs> my top 10 is all movies that everyone's hailed i'm um, probably half of it is the same as like the film comment list but i don't really know what else to do about that yeah i guess maybe change your definition of best and or become a troll and contrarian you know to keep it interesting like almond white we need more almond whites mm, well what i like about <laughs> what almond white does um <laughs> i'm steady now um <laughs> uh, what i like about his end of the year thing is rather than doing a list he does an alternative film he picks an overrated film that everyone's got on their list and then chooses another a different film that's i cool. think that's quite a fun way of doing that's it. interesting yeah, um, but... so i think he said like sing street instead of la la land and that kind of thing um, oh nice that's cool I think that that is a you know, we're kind of almond white apologists on this show. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. but you know, almond white needs something to react to, so maybe you've got to have the too many boring lists to react to. Um, okay, let's 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 keep this baby rolling. <laughs> we got we got we've got a lot of cases to get through. We here. have to, yeah. What have you got um, for us? I uh, I mean, this is probably the biggest year ever for superhero movies, uh, to a maddening degree, I'd say, if you're, you're a bit of a sceptic. Um, you know, Avengers and Black Panther became two of the biggest movies ever. We even had Aquaman last week and, and, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse coming out and so many others that you've already forgotten about. But, uh, and I think the biggest sceptic on this case, on, on, in the around this sort of superhero culture was Ethan Hawke, who uh, in an interview said that uh, superhero movies would never be as good as like Bergman films. Uh, and he was kind of tongue in cheek, but it put the Twitter sphere into a absolute uh, tizzy. So they did. Um, yeah. People got upset with him. I think this was, yeah, this was one of the biggest <clears throat> moments of the year, I think. Okay. Um, um. And, you know, especially Ethan Hawke as an actor who's always had clout, has kind of steered away from, like, huge movies. I don't think, other than, like, Valerian or, like, the Purge movies, he's really been in any, like, big blockbusters. Yes. Um, And so I think there's an interesting, like, war going on. And obviously superhero movies are definitely winning. (laughs) But, um... Um, yeah, I think people overreacted to his comment because i think it is a little more nuanced um than what than what people were kind of taking from it in that you know he was saying it's a marketing thing for them to act like a great superhero film is a great film period you know um Mm -hmm. and that they're selling it that way to make you you know to make you more more to buy it to go see it um yeah so I, think I don't. I don't think critics help that when they like, you know, compare like the Avengers movie to like, uh, no, was it the Thor movie was like, oh, this is about immigration and we should watch this in the era of Trump or like, you know, those kind of like comp- things that people kind of try and read like lots of ideology into these movies that I don't think is really there. Um, um, maybe Black Panther was like mm-hmm. something that was a bit more sophisticated. Yes. But, 
I don't know. I mean, I think it is worth treating popular films as if they do have these strong messages, because even if they're not explicitly saying certain things, maybe the things they're accidentally saying are still really interesting because so many people watch them and they're they're made for, for mass audiences. So I think it's important oh, that, to be critical of them. There's definitely, like, vital to study that stuff, but, like, I think people are talking about these as if, like, that's what makes them good movies or, like, you know, the densest, most important films of the time, and I don't know if that's really true i don't think that there's as much people i think critics are starting to give a pass to these films where they're not actually you know i've seen i've seen the avengers in a lot of top 10 lists is what i'm saying yes yeah it's tricky i don't know how you i don't know how much of that is a crowd-pleasing thing i mean do you genuinely feel like it's it deserves its spot there no, it's a fucking terrible movie. I, like, what what are people on about if you think that's one of the ten best films this year? Like, seriously, like, bad filmmaking. Like, these this fucking action scenes in all these films, like, even a really good one like Black Panther, the, the action scenes are still, like, just completely cookie-cutter and badly done. Like, anything, any of the, the action scenes in, in, in Black Panther compared to, like, Mission Impossible 6, just... Yeah, it's kind of embarrassing. It's not really a it's fair comparison. Well, it is because they're the biggest <laughs> movies of the year. You know? So I, I feel like they're getting a pass by just having a little bit of character to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm really pro-Hawk in this, in this case. Yes, I think it does seem like superhero movies are coming to a place where they're not being questioned. And we need someone like Ethan Hawke to question the question it yeah i think there was a, a thing in the culture of like is this have we reached the apex point of of superhero films are they about to have a decline and that just hasn't happened at all and i think that people are now like becoming optimist about it and uh, just <laughs> blindly accepting them it, like aquaman is getting good reviews people are it, it, even if people are accepting that it's silly people are still talking about that film like it's worth spending your money on when like Stuff like The Favourite or Shoplifters are out and that's actually what critics should... Like, that's what critics are there for is to point you in the direction of films that you might not watch otherwise. Okay. The people that are going to watch Aquaman are going to watch it. I don't want some writers from The Atlantic or whoever to be hyping up Aquaman because it's not interesting. Hmm. Like... No, yeah, that's a good point. I think we need... Yeah, we need Ethan to say these things <laughs> yeah um, so I, I think that was an ongoing issue in 2018 yes um, it's going to continue into 2019 I mean I am excited I for I wasn't excited for Infinity War but now I am excited for Endgame so I've, I've become part of it already I'm going to watch it the day it comes out of course because yeah. <laughs> like, it's the zeitgeist yeah but you know, when we're talking, I guess it depends on how you want to talk about movies and what what you're looking for from them. But I, I'm yeah. so curious what people in the future, what academics or anyone, are gonna gonna view our culture as the superhero era. Like, what do we think of the Western era? What are they gonna say about the the superhero movie era? I don't know. They, we won't talk about it in terms of movies. It will just be the like video game era. How far along were we with that? And 
this will be the Fortnite era. <laughs> Do you think? Maybe. Oh. It's hard to say, like, how much will film be like? How how much will people think regard film? Will it? That's a whole other episode. Like, yeah. Let's move on. Okay, what's your what's on. your second exhibit to? Um, I think this year has been a very strong year for with portraying withdrawn teenagers. Um, for example, uh, Miseducation of Cameron Post, uh, Love Simon. Um, your even... film of the year. Possibly, I'm, I'm teasing that. Um, <laughs> even something like Girl, which has had a very very mixed reception, very polarizing, and I think is a is a is a very problematic film. But I think the way it has this withdrawn teenagers and this, I feel like that's such a strong thing when you're a teenager. This just inability to say what you really want and to really communicate how you really feel. I think it's been a really strong year for those performances and those stories. Yeah, definitely. And in other smaller films like Shirkers or Madeline's Madeline, uh-huh. um, that's that's definitely a theme as well. I think. Yeah. Or maybe and, even hereditary. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's part of that. I think something I really struggled with in Moonlight is that I felt like the younger versions of Chiron, he was so withdrawn that I really struggled to connect with him. But in the films this year, I found like even though these teenagers can't say anything, I'm really, you know, I'm really rooting for them, really, you know, feeling their their angst. Yeah, definitely. Oh, and of the, maybe the biggest one of all is uh, eighth grade. I think that that does like a remarkable job, really, of of um, of exploring that and depicting that on screen. I still haven't seen that one, but uh, yeah. Oh shit! That's gonna be your number one. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm very happy. I'm a big teen movie fan, um, and I think it's been a very strong year, both for teens this year. Uh, but they've, it's interesting, like, they've all been around about a singular perspective rather than, you know, you're sort of... Something like Mean Girls looks at the entire hierarchy of a, of a high school, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, these are, like, teen films rather than high school movies. Yes, yes. The high school movie was a great, great trend, a big deal. Um, you know, I love talking about tribes and subcultures, but, uh, yeah, I feel like this batch of teen movies is, you're right, it's not really about navigating high school so much as, yeah, this more... Navigating yourself, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is of none of But yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful. I don't know what the next bunch of teen movies will be. Oh, man. What will be the thank you next of, like, 2030 <laughs> that's influenced by these movies? I don't know what that's going to look yeah. like. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, the Ladybird nostalgia. Oh, my God. Oh man. Yeah. That's got me excited. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll be like, oh, I remember the first time that movie came out. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's interesting, like, as a theme. I don't think people, I don't think there's been, like, necessarily a theme for my top movies of the year or hmm. throughout that. I think I always feel like that's kind of a nebulous zone to get into. Yes. Um, but I, I mean, I did recently realise that, like, all of my favourite movies for like every year is always like a Hitchcockian thriller like every time <laughs> and I was like that is some bias right there but um no spoilers about yeah you know yeah yeah I don't want to make too much of a grand statement about Generation Z but 
actually no this, this is gonna sound really pretentious but what like <laughs> so if people are like oh they're all on social media all the time sharing but then it's like these teenagers are withdrawn and, and can't share is that is that an interesting angle or expression of that mm, i think i think well eighth grade obviously deals with that really head-on mm-hmm. i think yeah um, i need to watch it mm. and does it and does it quite but the guy i mean love simon is like He's a he's not really a withdrawn guy, is he? No. He's um, just got that one problem. I think that's what's that's what's interesting about that depiction of, of coming out and probably what makes it so commercial and accessible to a mainstream audience is it's like this is really a guy that has everything going for him. Mm-hmm. Um but can't get over that one aspect of himself. Yeah. Um what is uh <clears throat> You exhibit two. Okay. Uh, so I mentioned Shirkers a minute ago, and I think this has been a year uh, aided by Netflix where um, the, the case of the rediscovered classics, where um, this documentary Shirkers, uh, which is about uh, Sandy Tan's um, film that she made as a teenager in Singapore which uh, was lost and is, is now sort of kind of found again um, and that she's made this documentary about and Orson Welles' Other Side of the Wind which was his famously lost film that he shot in the throughout the 70s and has now uh, through the magic of Netflix mm-hmm. been edited into a sort of complete film and I think that side by side they make a really interesting um companion pieces about um, film history and, and about uh, like stories that are kind of lost and found again and, and whose stories get told and why, um, you know, the, the other side of the wind, millions of dollars have been put into getting that film back into the conversation while Sandy Tan's kind of done all of this herself as she kind of details in the movie and, and how that's a really vital piece of, of Singaporean film history. It's kind of an area that we don't hear about in mm-hmm. terms of film culture. And uh, I, I, I don't know, they, they were like two of my favourite films of the year, two of the best films of the year, two films that just, to me, are, are kind of why I keep coming back to films and films that are about movies. And, and uh, I, yeah, I, I think having them both together, both on Netflix, coming out within like the same sort of week or two weeks mm-hmm. was just a really stark moment for me. I haven't actually seen either of them, which is... Uh, um... I don't know why I've done that since uh, I supposedly <laughs> love archives. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's, that is really great. It gets me really excited to think those kinds of films are being put out there that, you know, engage with history in that way. I think that's really interesting. Um, yeah. Like the, I mean, the other side of the wind, I don't, I don't know if you know if it's a great film, but like the fact that you can, like sometimes I'll just, I'm like, I've got 20 minutes to spare. <laughs> I just stick on 20 minutes of the other side of the wind because I can. <laughs> Like, and it's, and especially coming the same year as we've had um, the Mark Cousins documentary and there's a, another documentary about the making of The Other Side of the Wind. Yes. It's just like an amazing time for like Wells to be talked about and for for good good and good and bad, you know? Yes, definitely. Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely an exciting thing. Yeah. Also, there's a bit where Peter Bogdanovich calls Orson Welles' daddy and that's just amazing. So, oh man, Year of the yeah. Daddy. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, what's your, what's case five, exhibit five? Exhibit 
E. Um, me counting on my fingers. I think it's been a very difficult year for the Oscars. Um, they're Ooh. trying very hard to be relevant. I think, you know, the only reason it's been so watchable the year before, in 2017, was the whole Moonlight La La Land thing and Jimmy Kimmel's first show. And yeah. that was that was crazy. And that kind of brought some attention to the Oscars. But this the greatest is, Oscar moment of all time. Yeah, yeah it was it was crazy. Um, and then this year, um, it was like, I think it was like, it felt like maybe the shortest broadcast there's ever been because it was just, everything just went so smoothly and everything just went, you know, <laughs> as it was supposed to. It's very dull. Um, yeah. On in the beginning, I think in midsummer, at the beginning of August, they introduced um, an achievement, an award for the achievement in popular film, um, and then that was met with a huge, huge amount of criticism to eventually be be cancelled and scrapped in the beginning of September, um, and then recently, Kevin Hart was announced as host, and then maybe by the end of the week he was removed as host after some homophobic tweets were resurfaced. Um, so I think it's been a bad year for Oscars. Yeah, it was difficult, definitely. But but like if we think about all the movies that are going to get nominated, like there's a really high standard this year. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, there's not usually there's like a huge backlash against films like La La Land or Free Billboards. Like there's not really going to be something like that. The, the Green Book backlash, I guess, has already happened. Mm-hmm. But. No, no one's hating on a star is born too much. <laughs> no, no one's like accusing Roma of racism. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- it's crazy how good I think the films this year. Are. You know, Yorgos Lanthimos and Barry Jenkins are probably, <laughs> and Spike Lee are going to be nominated for best director. Like, yeah, it's a really good year, I think. For, yes. For, for in terms of the films. Yes. No, award season is going to be fun, and uh, I think the films are a great reflection on 2018 but it's the oscars themselves as an institution i think they're having a bad time and they're not managing it very well well they're just another institution that like needs to adapt to newer niche audiences for cinema i guess Mm -hmm. um and they're obviously tied into this like abc contract so they have to be popular enough to try and reach a huge tv audience Mm-hmm. Which is never going to be as big as years past, is it? No. You know, like this year when it's when the it was reported that the Queen's speech was the most watched thing on UK TVs at Christmas, <laughs> and it was like, well, yeah, because everyone just watched Netflix on Christmas Day. <laughs> oh, I didn't like, know that. That's funny. You know, maybe like, maybe the Oscars should switch their contract to PBS, and then they can just you know be a little more yeah. stuffy, be a little more or real. live stream it. Yes. And they can I don't know why they haven't done that before. Run it for six hours because, like, <laughs> I will watch the Oscars every single year. It's yeah. my Super Bowl. Like, I will watch every minute of it. So, so yeah, tough time. Who do you think they're going to get to host? I I don't know, man. It's not. I I don't know. I don't really have enjoy speculating on the host. The host is like the least interesting thing for me. Yeah. Um, you know, who cares? Just get Kimble again. <laughs> I don't know. I was, was all right. No, yeah, I was surprised because I didn't. I wasn't really a fan of him before, but after he the first time he hosted, I was like, oh, I kind of like this guy. I kind of like where, where he's at. He's my favorite talk show, Jim. Yes. You know. Yes. 
Well, probably the best talk show host. Like, I don't like Colbert. Uh, I always like to say that uh, Graham Norton's the best. It's like throwing him in. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, nice. <laughs> That's a classy choice. Yeah, I feel with the Oscars thing, and they're trying to embrace mainstream audiences and try and honour them with the best popular film category. Mm-hmm. Um, it was... It was a... <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> so they didn't say exactly what the category would be, but it would be, you know, in reference to popular blockbuster movies. Um, and I feel like that's a bad way to um, engage with that audience because it just reinforces mainstream films and, like, air quotes, good films. Like, can't a popular film also be a good film? It's uh Yeah. You know, it's 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 it was a bad idea. I think um, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but with the the Baftas, they introduced a film that was voted for by the pub. Introduced, they introduced an award that was voted for by the audience called um, Best Rising Star, um, and I think that's a really good way to engage an audience because they get to yes. choose someone. But it's also you know it's promoting film culture. It's in it's in encouraging someone who's who's been coming up in the in the film business. Yeah, definitely. And you get legends like Will Poulter winning that. Yeah. Um, so we yeah, stand think... a legend, Will Poulter. Yeah. Yeah, Will Poulter's great. Love him. Who's who's up for that this year? Did Florence Pugh get it last year? I think she did, yeah. No. Um, Chalamet, surely Chalamet. Let's see. <laughs> wow, Shia LaBeouf won in 2008. Um, what a star. I feel like he was already a star that had fucking risen at that point. Uh, in 2008? I don't know. Um, yeah, he'd done even Stevens. Well, he'd no, but done it was about honouring his his, uh, his growth from teen star to, to grown-up star. Wow, Tang Wei from Lost Caution was nominated that year. Wow. Yeah. Sick. I think it is always That's... a really exciting award. Um, and... Oh, man, like, look at it. 2007, sorry, but all five of these people went on to be huge. Eva <laughs> Green won. Uh, but Emily Blunt, Naomi Harris, Killian Murphy, and Ben Whishaw. Like, yeah. Fucking, this is like, all, in fact, all of these, every time, they will go on to be huge. Yeah. Except for Gemma Arterton. Whatever <laughs> happened to her? She's, got, she's, she's around. Oh. Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield were both nominated in two. Tom Hardy won in two thousand. He was already huge at that point. Sorry. Um, yeah, sometimes you do get thirty year olds who are nominated, and it is a bit um, problematic. But you know, you got to embrace that a rising star can be any age. You know, let's not be ageist here. Um, Ugh, Tom Holland won. Uh, Yuck. Be... <laughs> yeah. He beat Anya Taylor Joy. <laughs> She's the indie favourite, you know. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, it's a, um, this is an exciting category. Um, yeah, so, what a category. Yeah. And it's just oh, voted for by the public. So, you know, you can it's, you don't have to separate popular with good. Who's it going to be this year? I'm so excited. <laughs> but who was the, the, the big the breakthrough star? Uh, John David know. Washington. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they've announced 2019. Don't think so. Who was the the Taylor Swift's boyfriend from The Favorite? Oh yeah. 
Will it be Alex Wolf from Hereditary? Oh my god, that would be great. I think he's got a good chance, doesn't he? But I think you need a couple of films, I think, in one year to really... Yeah. What's your profile? Um, <clears throat> yeah. They, like, Claire Foy's already big, isn't she? No, she might get she it. She can't. She might get nominated. She might get it. Oh, what about Olivia Cook? Oh, yes. Is she already nominated? She'll, she'll get nominated. Thoroughbreds and RP1. Yeah. Um... Elizabeth Debicki or, or oh Cynthia Erivo maybe. Ah uh, yeah, I don't think enough people saw Bad Times or Widows. Yeah, maybe she could be the outlier. Yeah. Um. Oh, fuck me, I'm so excited about this stupid <laughs> <G-Vid> category. <laughs> uh, what about Lakeith Stanfield? Oh I mean, my gosh. Uh, To me, he's already huge, but he might do Lakeith, it. right? Or Brian Tyree Henry, because he's had quite a big year, hasn't mm. he? See, this has got us excited for 2018. This is a, it's good. Good job. BAFTA. Yeah. Oh, come on, BAFTA. <laughs> I love the BAFTA. So, talking of uh, Lakeith Stanfield, I've got the case of Boots Riley shitting on Black Klansman's historical inaccuracies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you remember this? I do, yeah. Um, so... Both of them had films this year where black people uh, put on a white voice um, and they're both sort of really interesting explorations into, you know, what is a white voice? What does it mean for a black African-American identity? What did Boots Riley say? Uh, Well, Boots Riley wasn't happy with Spike Lee's depiction of the story from of Black Klansman, uh, Mm -hmm. which is about a black guy who... Uh, infiltrates the uh, the KKK. Um. Yeah, so he he has it. The the character, the real man, Ron Stallworth, has a history of infiltrating these black radical organizations to bring them down. Um, and then when he infiltrated the KKK, um, like yeah, so it's it's not really it's problematic to to show the way he's doing that as like as a as a victory for. Um, being a black radical when really it's 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 more nuanced than that and maybe yeah uh we can link to Boots Riley's sort of explanation of his problems with the movie and, and I guess my question or the one of the biggest questions is does it does it matter um that such a kind of bombastic movie uh that plays fast and loose with the truth um but still obviously incorporates a lot of documentary stuff into it. Does it matter if it's using that story inaccurately to get to its message? Um, like, uh, I remember the, mm. I think Nick Pinkerton in reverse shot described it as, uh, said that the, the only people that would be provoked or um, riled up by the movie or that would even see the movie Black Klansmen were people that already knew that they were going to go and watch a Spike Lee movie called Black Klansmen. And so it kind of muted. It, it, it's it's like impact is muted. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I love Black Klansmen. I think its style is just incredible. I think the way that I think it's one of the most sort of complete and formalist, most strongest movies that's, that Lee's ever put together. And, and so it feels so complete and so direct and, and, and really pointed to me. Mm-hmm. 
but I, I feel like once you know that about the, the, the reality of the historical situation, it's hard to ignore it. Mm-hmm. I think it is hard. I think for me, it, the film had some amazing sequences, but some of the, the way it handles some of its characters and then really thinking about the nature of its relation to the real Ron Stallworth and like the real things he did. Um, it does make it harder for me to to love the film. And I think when you're using true stories as a vehicle for to explore something, then you're always going to have that awkward relationship of, like, to the truth and to the reality and the ramifications of that. Yeah. Um, Shouts out American Animals. <laughs> yes. Um, so I don't know. I think it would be great if... I think in a perfect world, you'd have both. You'd have, yeah, the Boots Riley criticising Black Klansman and Black Klansman existing the way it does want to tell that, the way Spike Lee does want to tell that story and the changes he did make. But maybe Black Klansman is just going to have such a bigger audience. Maybe and people aren't going to seek out what Boots Riley had to say about it. Yeah, I, I could have happily had like an hour longer version of Black Klansman that does go into all that stuff. Um but I guess that wouldn't have reached as big an audience as it kind of seems to have done. Yeah. And so how do you feel about Sorry to Bother You? Because I feel like that's also one of the biggest movies of the year. Um, yeah. Uh, I need to watch it again. I think... I don't want to just say the same things that everyone's been saying, but the pacing is strange. Um, and as a debut film, maybe that's why. Um, and I found it hard to really tune into it but I loved all the ideas I thought the art direction was like amazing and I loved where it went um and but yeah I don't know I think the idea of a of a black guy using his white voice to climb the corporate ladder is such a great idea that that was enough to make me want to watch it but I I don't know how deep into that idea it went um right how do you feel about it yeah, yeah, I guess it gets tied up in a lot of other things. The the Tessa Thompson aspect of that seems kind of muddled, but yes, um, interesting that it goes there, but like not. I, I don't know. I I found I felt like it wasn't very well directed, and that was kind of what stops those ideas from coming together properly. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with that kind of veering off. I might have talked about this on the LFF, but. Um, where it goes, I I feel like it, it it doesn't it doesn't have the like the formal sophistication to pull that stuff off. Mm-hmm. Um, Is Boots Riley going to make more films? I hope so. I mean, like I criticize this movie, but like fuck me, I wish there was something like that every single year. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's kind of interesting to hold those movies up side by side. Do you think? Definitely, yeah. Yes, I feel like, yeah, to compare them, Black Klansman does really have this formal precision that pulls off stuff so well. Um, And then, um, sorry to bother you, doesn't quite have that, but I feel like the ideas are real that it's exploring. Yeah, they're like like real enough that it... Yeah, 
like its relation to to capitalism and the workforce and unions and the thing those ideas are like more concrete than the sort of more tangible no sorry less tangible abstract idea of a of Ron Stallworth. I kind of want Bruce Riley to like remake Sorry to Bother You. Oh really? Yeah, just like make it again. <laughs> what if he <laughs> just... tackled? Black Klansman. What if he did? A, what if they did a remake of each other's films? Oh shit! Five obstructions. That would be great. <laughs> that that is what I want. I want to see Booz Riley doing his Black Klansman. Mm. That would be so interesting. Yeah, I feel like it'd be very dark though, because he'd really want to go in on. Although maybe he'd, he, if he did it as a comedy, maybe it wouldn't be too bad, too depressing. It's hard to imagine what his style would be, like, because this movie is so, like, bitty. A lot of people compared it to, like, Spike Jones, um, Like, it's... Or Michelle Gondry, didn't they? Like, it's mm-hmm. hard to... What else can Boots Riley do? Yeah. I think, for me, this... Yeah, as I said, the stronger thing for me was the art direction. Um, mm. And I think it was... Yeah, it did have this real character in the art direction. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So, my next... Um, my next case is um, East Asian representation in um, in cinema in 2018. Um, uh, I think it's I think it's been a good year for especially East Asian diaspora in uh, American films because you had the Asian American family in Searching, headed up by John Cho, uh, in the very exciting desktop thriller. Um, and then you also had like the massive hit of, uh, crazy rich Asians, which has had, you know, a completely, um, East Asian cast. Um, and that did really well at the box office. Um, but that also had a lot of criticism in, 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 you know, its depictions of wealth and its depiction of Singapore. And, and, um, I think that's great that, that, that could, could do that. But then also I find something I really had trouble with this year was Isle of Dogs, and um, there's a lot of debate around, you know, is it homage? Is it appropriation? Are either of those things even okay? Um, so yeah, I think it's been an interesting year for for that. How do you feel about have those you... those movies? <laughs> have you listened to Film Spotting's top ten? No, not yet. Okay, I won't spoil. I won't spoil it. <laughs> Does it does just does Josh Larson talk about Japanese internment again? Uh, <laughs> let's say Isla Dogs is high up on at least one list, and then Alison Wilmore. Oh no, it's not Alison Wilmore. Tasha Robinson's like, we keep not talking about the fact that it's racist. Yeah, <laughs> and they're all like, ah, it's okay, and then and then Josh is like. This is the greatest political satire of the last ten years, or something. Oh god! He's like, like, what the fuck are you on about? Um, what does Angelica I mean, Bastian have to say about it? Uh, well, she's not on the episode. Oh no, I she's on know. the she's on their live show. Okay, she'll yeah. be on the wrap up. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then Michael Phillips is just like. Why do we guys like fucking Island Dogs so much? But yeah, no, it's as you say, like the, um, 
Crazy Rich Asians is is going to get criticism, but like that's good. I think yeah. right, like it's good that those conversations can exist because of a movie like that doing mm-hmm. so well. Um, um, yeah, no, I think it's it's been a really interesting year for this idea of uh, East Asian diaspora and Asian voices on film, um, and I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad and they're the making rise a... of Stephen Yeun as well. Oh my god, yes, yeah, it's it's been a great year. I think. To have these nuanced conversations, so it's good that the the representations out there. Yeah, it'll carry on. Like the the Aquafina's now like a person. She's done SNL, and mm-hmm. uh, what's it, who's who's the lead in in that film again? Um, Constance Wu. Yeah, people will, like love her, right? So yeah, yeah, she, and it's been yeah. a good year for Henry Golding. You know, um, he used to just present the BBC Travel Show, but now he's been in. Crazy Rich Asians and A Simple Favour, one where it's kind of talking about uh, Asian identity and one where it's just not even a a part, it's just not really a part of the movie, which is cool. Oh my God, this dude. I saw A Simple Favour. I did not realise that was like, that's who that was. Yeah, so Henry Golding, I think he's British Malaysian, yeah. And he plays Blake White Lively's husband. Yeah. He's he's a bit of a thought, isn't he? Really? Yeah, he's had a good year. And uh, I've not seen a Bread Factory. That's like the film of twenty eighteen that I really, really want to catch up on. Have you heard of that one? No, I haven't. What's that? Um, so that's like Patrick Wang, who's an independent Chinese American film director. Uh, it's a five hour movie about an art center in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's had like it's got like a hundred percent Rotten Tomatoes. Mazola sites gave it four star, four out of four. Um, and you know it's amazing that like this indie director can uh, have a uh, you know make a five hour movie in two parts like that mm-hmm. and and it and it get out there. I saw his um, his first film in the family, which is like a legal uh, drama, mm-hmm. which was extraordinary. That was like two and a half hours as well, and just. So well, well played. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Big thing. Have you heard um, a long day's journey into night's marketing thing in China, by the way? No, I haven't. Um, so the marketing scheme was uh, long day's journey into night is the uh, th- two and a half hour noir that becomes a 3D movie for the last hour, a single shot. Yeah. Um, yeah. 3D take, uh, which is quite extraordinary, and um, the it's coming out like this week in China, and the whole marketing scheme is um, take your date and and the film will end on as New Year as it becomes the New Year, mm-hmm. and then you have to kiss your date, <laughs> and it's become like the biggest pre-sale movie in China ever. That's so great! Wow, I'm glad that that's working out <laughs> for that movie. That's good. Yeah, it's so cool. And it's such like a trippy and kind of romantic movie. So that's really exciting. Oh man, if I had the money, I'd go and go over there and do that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to take the lead and go on for one of the biggest most acclaimed movies of the year was First Reformed. Uh and I want to talk about the case of Paul Schrader retreading old ground because a lot of people accuse First Reformed, which is uh, Ethan Hawke's star. Ethan Hawke is a priest, scared about environmental apocalypse and capitalism and the end of the world and religion uh, and and ending up d- 
doing something, taking matters into his own hands. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, critics of the film said that that was re- Schrader retreading the same ground as Taxi Driver or um, or some of his other... Why am, I, why am I fucking completely drawing a blank on Paul Schrader? Hardcore. Uh, and and, and, and um, the Willem Dafoe one, not Light Sleeper, saying that he was kind of just doing the same thing again. And... Um, and I think that's really missing the point of what makes First Reformed like such an amazing 2018 movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think as I was joy- watching it, um, as I was watching First Reformed and I was like thinking about how it aligned and connected with the Taxi Driver, I didn't, I didn't think that was a negative. I think, you know, he's revisiting the themes and uh, it's a structure that's really powerful. Um, like, you know, the feeling of like you can't do something and then trying to do something um, yeah, I think that that worked, and I just made the film richer because you're just thinking about Paul Schrader and his his body of work. Yeah, exactly. It's it's so in tune with everything that he's done before, even back to his transcendental uh, cinema concepts that he explores in his book, um, and that kind of brings it in line with uh, you know other directors like Ozu and Dreyer, and and so he's it's it's such a great movie in, in talking to himself and to other filmmakers and putting himself into this huge conversation mm-hmm. in a way that I've not really seen from him before. I love like so many of his movies, but this is like crystallized, like who he is for me. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and obviously it's such a current movie as well in terms of its environmental concerns, etc. Uh, and Amanda Seyfried being in it. <laughs> <laughs> what that that just makes it the most well yeah I mean 2018 was a great year for her we've got Mamma Mia too, and we've got First Reformed and you know she's got a real strong quality um, shit Mamma Mia 2 is only just coming up at an hour into the podcast <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah she does have a real sort of radiant vibe to her um, sorry I went off track there to the film um yeah i mean i'm not crazy about author author theory but i think you know filmmakers that just make the same film over and over again i'm not saying that's what paul schrader does but people who just have this thing or this vibe or this theme that they just can't let go and it just comes up again and again that's can be fascinating um yeah so yeah i think first reforms are reformed as a real achievement and I, and i guess what's made it like different he's he's taken it out of that urban setting and he's put the whole... He's, it's not just a genre film like some of his other movies are kind of mm-hmm. based in the world of crime or straight-up revenge films or that kind of thing. He's... Yeah. I think doing the religious winter-like kind of theme has has given him room to play a little bit. Mm-hmm. Such a great movie. Like, you know, maybe I think that's the best film of the year. Is it is it Hitchcockian enough though? Ah, see, that is the thing. Is it a little Hitchcockian? Know, I, it's a little Bresson. Mm. Bresson rather than than Hitchcock. The two guys are close. But I need that. It does kind of have a Hitchcock blonde. You no, know, I need that. She's not quite. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. But does it have a wrong man? I think he's brought into something that wasn't entirely his choice. Okay, yeah. And you know, does it does it connect to I confess? Um, I was about to bring up I confess. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's the yeah. double bill. 
Yeah, because I think uh, Hitchcock grew up Catholic, didn't he? Oh yeah, he, he's a he was a Catholic. Yeah, so I think yeah, that the Catholic filmmakers exploring that sort of anxiety and um, pain of of their their religion is is always interesting. Yes. Uh, you, you you went to a Catholic school, didn't you? I did, yeah. So I, I, that's I think that's part of why I'm I feel close with with Hitchcock, Bresson, and and um, and Schrader, the, the Holy Trinity. <laughs> what other Catholic filmmakers are there? Um, so Danny Boyle, Scorsese, obviously. Uh, I think considered going to a seminary, as did Scorsese. Yeah. Um. Is. Shyamalan, or am I completely off base with him? Oh, he's he's definitely Christian, isn't he? Because his first movie set in a in a Catholic school, and obviously the Signs is like the most religious movie. Oh uh, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. He might be. I think that John Ford and is one as well. Okay, I'm pretty uh, yes. Sure John... uh, so yeah, Shyamalan did go to a Catholic school when he was younger. Um. Tarkovsky, mm-hmm. is he Catholic? He's definitely religious, isn't he? Mm-hmm. There must be a lot of Italian filmmakers as well that I, I can't think of. Oh, yeah, for sure. Although I feel like a lot of those Italian, especially like the neo-realists, kind of reject religion, don't they? Mm. In their movies. Maybe. Certainly as like symbols. Oh, definitely something to explore. Um, We're going to have to read movies our prayers yeah. by Josh Larson. Oh shit! Yes, can we? Can we do Judge Larson and get him yeah. on? Yes, we'll get him on. Okay, yeah. So that's why you should stick for around that. for Judge Twenty Nineteen. Judge Twenty Nineteen, uh, featuring oh, Josh no, Larson. I found a CatholicCulture.org's fifty best Catholic movies of all time. I can't go through all this right now. Uh. It's all right. We, we've got until 2019. This podcast can last that long, right? Yeah. <laughs> Leo McCary is a is Catholic. Nice. So he did the... Orphan the, Truth's Catholic. The comedies of remarriage. The Sanctity of Divorce. Ah. And then they're getting back together. Interesting. But he also did... Um, what's that fucking world's saddest movie about the two old people? Um, there's, is it Make Way for Tomorrow? That's Leo McCary, isn't it? Oh, I don't know that one. Have you ever seen that film? No. It's like these two old people who like, fucking get like kicked out of their house and rejected by their family. But they're they're like, it's okay. We'll keep going. They're just like lovely old people who have been rejected by the modern world. It's great. Sounds like peak. It's so good. Made in the 30s. Very Great Depression-y. Too Depression-y. Yeah, 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 it's really good. Okay. I feel like this is just a list of films that could be considered Catholic rather than actually made by Catholics or like. Okay. Like, Renoir? Is Ren. Is, okay, I'm sorry, I'm really taking us off. <laughs> Groundhog's Day. Oh, nice. Okay. Interesting. Oh my god, I've met someone that had never heard of Groundhog's Day. Oh, really? Did they understand it when you explained uh, yeah. it to Well, she was like, have you heard of Happy Death Day? It's just such an amazing idea for a film. Okay. And I was like, yeah, I love Groundhog Day. And they were like, what is that? 
How old is she? I don't know. Like, my age, probably? Oh, and I was right. like, okay. Oh. Well. And I kind of, yeah. Well, yeah, that's a bit weird. Cinema's dead. <laughs> Sontag was right. It's over. Okay. We need to finish judging 2019. Uh, 2018? We haven't even gotten started on 2019. Fuck. Although I have made... The podcast made, lasted that long. Yeah. I did make a preliminary uh, 2019 ranked list. Um, oh, really? Just get ready. Yeah. Um, so I am... What, uh, have you got it? Well, no, I started it. Can I hear your 2019 list? I think it's... I... Um, it's like in fabric and chain for life um, and stuff I saw at uh, uh, a film festival. I thought you meant like you'd seen the films that were coming out <laughs> and you'd already ranked them. <laughs> You're like, um, yeah, us is number one. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan Peele does it again. No, I think I mean that could be fun. I have all do that. And- yeah, and then see like how wrong you are. Yeah. That'd be a good exercise. So the first one is an exercise in arrogance, and then the comparison is an exercise in humility. You're a Catholic film critic. <laughs> the final thing that I wanted to bring up was uh, the abysmal marketing for widows. Oh. Um, so that was the thriller co-written by Gillian Flynn and Steve McQueen, and Steve McQueen directing. Um, in this, this sort of heist thriller about the widow surviving widows of um, these thieves who have who have died and they've got to got to pay off their debt, um, and yeah, I felt like in the build up to that release of that film, I felt like it was going to be the movie of that season. Um, yeah. I thought it was gonna gonna set alight many conversations about race, about politics, um, about uh, sexism. Um, and it, it kind of just d- didn't, it underperformed, it didn't really go anywhere. Um, I don't think many people really saw it. Um, and I think that is down to the marketing. Yeah, I, it, I, I found the movie, like, flawed. And, and I felt like, because the film underperformed so much, it was difficult to have a real conversation about it because you were trying to convince people to see it. You're going like, you need to see this movie so that we can talk about how it's maybe not that good. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I, yeah. I think it was still one of my favourite films of the year. Um, mm-hmm. And it, yeah, I think you're right. Like it could have just done so bad. Do you think they got scared because of Ocean's 8? I don't think so. I think they should have challenged Ocean's 8 as the other high-profile heist movie led by women they should have challenged that and i think they would have come out on top because despite its problems you know it's a very exciting thriller um and has a lot to say um they should have marketed it like how the departed was marketed you know like mm -hmm. here is the new like badass like crime movie the new crime epic like yeah and i feel that first trailer did that job right I feel like the trailers were good. Yeah, they're exciting and they were communicating those ideas and it felt like something you wanted to watch. I was, yeah, the, that first trailer, I was very excited. Um, so what happened? I don't know. 
I think, I don't know who distributed it, but it seemed like maybe they didn't have experience with distributing uh, action films or thrillers. Um, and I think the criticism uh, was that they were relying on the good reviews, but you can't do that with those kinds of films. You need to no. to promote them. I wonder if um, the marketing relied on the kind of identity politics stuff that's around the film, but not necessarily what the actual body of the film is about, rather than mm-hmm. on the fact that it's a really well-told story and that, mm-hmm. that that's what they should have pushed. Because I feel like there's a that like I feel like that's still a movie that like middle aged mums and dads would love, but if yeah. you're told that this is a film you need to see because it talks about race and gender, you that might not mm-hmm. be the right way for some people to approach it. Yes, yes, I think that stuff in the film is kind of subtext. Um, yeah, and yeah, you can't really sell the film on its subtext because it's it yeah. It's not like a film like. Um, uh, even 12 Years a Slave where you're like you know exactly what you're going into with that one like and the conversations that you're mm-hmm. going to have about it like that stuff's all present in Widows but it's not it's 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 kind of not what's the best thing about it yes I think they got nervous about the name Steve McQueen and they didn't treat it how they should have treated it when they were talking about mm. it do you think that they thought they might have an Oscar play on their hands? And so they pushed for that rather than mm-hmm. rather than pushing for, for box office and then they kind of ended up in the middle and didn't get either? Yes. I think that could be what happened. I think, yeah. It, it has failed on both fronts, yeah. isn't it? And then it's going to be talked about in this strange way when really it should have been huge and then, yeah, I really would have loved the opportunity to, to go in on it and... It should have been a film like Gone Girl, shouldn't it, really? That that was a huge box office hit that had these other things going on and then managed to get an Oscar campaign off of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And you don't like Gone Girl either, so you could have, you know, had a field day. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think talking about some, how something was badly handled is, is a worthwhile conversation, you know. Definitely. Didn't really get to do that with Widows. I think you're right. I... I I don't think there was a film that was worse, handled in a worse way all year. Um, oh. oh, no, sorry, I meant an opportunity to, yeah, discuss Widow's flaws. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, just because something was bad about it doesn't mean it's not worth seeing or worth talking about, because, yeah, there's, just, there's a lot. Yeah, there. and it doesn't even mean that it's a bad film. I still think it's really good. It's yeah. just that there are things that yeah. are, there are still, there are problems in it. Um, yeah. Um, I feel like also with the marketing, I think they, I don't know what they're afraid of, but yeah, you're right. They couldn't really decide. And then the poster was so incredibly boring. They should have just oh, not, yeah. they should have just focused on the four women. I mean, I know they had Liam Neeson, they had Colin Farrell and they didn't want to not have them on the poster, but it just made for a very dull poster. It was just a bunch of faces on it. Uh, something else I'm wondering though is, is it maybe just not the time for a gritty crime thriller? You know, you say it should have been like The Departed, but that was like 10 years ago that film came out. I can't think of a, a high-profile block, box office blockbuster that was a, a crime thriller. Yeah, because people In are making years. fucking... People are fucking <laughs> making superhero films instead. 
Black Panther's cool, but I'd rather have Ryan Coogler's fucking gangster. No, I wouldn't. I'd take that back. Black Panther's good. I'd rather have the Russo Brothers gangster movie. No, I wouldn't. Yeah. Okay, I'd take it all back. It's just not the time for it, is it? It's not, but you know, the the Gone Girl thriller, I think, is a perfect example of, of something that yes. we could maybe have more of. Yes, I guess it's going in, in a different sort of direction. I feel like A Simple Favour is a riff of the Gone Girl thriller. Yes. Um, and that's that's having a, a, a time. That's having a, a moment, I think, isn't it? What, Simple Favour? Uh, no, just that kind of female-oriented domestic crime thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not so much the gritty gangster one. I thought Simple Favour was like not a good film. <laughs> um, I love Paul Feig don't think he did a good job mm-hmm. there I, uh, it all felt like so superficial and not artificial excuse me that all, yeah you know, and not like uh, it's not like I am presenting an artifice like it just f- flat um, no it wasn't great I was excited though that something that twisted and soapy was being made yeah I enjoy it. Yeah, it was enjoyable. I, I, I kind of wish it wasn't such so predictable. The the kind of twists in it. Yeah. Um, did you see Ira Madison saying that it was? This is really rich coming from me because I called the incredible because of my words on the Incredibles. But he said that he was like, oh, when um, she steps out with the umbrella, it's like straight out of Douglas Sirk. I was like, what? <laughs> what? Are you sure? So my final case, and I think this was a personally, I think this is a net positive um, that I hope we see going forward is the case of can rejecting or being forced to reject uh, Hollywood and big name movies this year uh, in favour of more art house fare. Um, Cannes Film Festival in start of the year said that they wouldn't show any Netflix movies. Uh, for whatever reasons, no time to go into that. Um, and so that meant that stuff like Roma, the Orson Welles film, uh, didn't play. I'm trying to think of what, what the other ones were. That w- There were a lot of films that were lined up to play at Cannes by American filmmakers that didn't. And so instead, that kind of put the spotlight on stuff like Shoplifters and Burning and Happy as Lazaro, which ended up being mm-hmm. some of the best movies of the year. Um, and I think that we... If the Pandora inevitably would have gone to Roma instead of Shoplifters, and then that film wouldn't have, not everyone would have seen Shoplifters, which would have been a crime. So okay, I feel like it's it's cool for Cannes to move into just being like, here are the best like European and or world cinema art films that um, you know like to push for that rather than trying to court Hollywood in a way that they've done in the past. Um, I mean, normally the Hollywood films are pretty high quality when they have stuff like Carol, you know. But um, and obviously this year they did have like Black Klansman, but um, I'd rather see like the Cannes because Cannes always going to be like something that people talk about. Or obviously the spotlight going mm-hmm. on on directors that I don't. I I had literally never heard of Coriander before Shoplifters won the Palme d'Or. So mm-hmm. and now I've seen a couple of his movies and I'm so grateful for that. Um, mm-hmm. And 
you push these Hollywood movies back to coming out at Venice or Toronto, and then the the kind of their Oscar campaign starts there. So mm-hmm. it's I th- I think it's quite it's cool to have that separation, and um, so long may they boycott Netflix is my. <laughs> okay. Um. Yes, I can. So with that narrative that they have rejected Netflix because they're only including films that have a theatrical release. Um, I do not have problems with that uh, attitude, but then if the subsequent fallout means that other other kinds of films are getting attention, that is good. That is a positive to the kind of maybe questionable decision to not include Netflix films. But, yeah, like personally, it's a question. It's a questionable decision because I like watching movies on my phone. But um, fucking yeah, let's have like a really snobby festival that doesn't do that. Like, why not? Yes, I guess that is part of the can identity. That's cool. It's part of the can. Pardon. It's part of the canon. <laughs> Part of their canon, like yeah. their canon, the canon. Yes, the canon. Yeah, the canon. Cool. Um, I don't know. I feel like I kind of want to poke holes in your narrative, though, because I mean, I know, I don't know all the money involved with Roma, but that is a Mexican film, is it not? Yes. Okay. That. Um, and you, yeah. you're kind of using Hollywood and American interchangeably, where I think Black Klansman is technically an independent film. And also, is Netflix maybe more of a global cinema force? It's not just associated with America, or is it even technically Hollywood? Um, Because they have all these co-productions, and, you know, the anime, I can't, there's like a new anime um, on Netflix every week that they've made and co-produced with Japan and I'm just like I can't keep up there's so many I'm reading a snarky uh, Guardian article that says in the future Queer Eye will play at Cannes <laughs> <laughs> nice well I I just think it's it's if you if you look at past years Cannes lineups we'll take the Netflix mm-hmm. out of it they've put a lot less American or English language films in there than usual and I think that was for the benefit mm-hmm. you know stuff like the Sean Penn movie that was played there a couple of years ago uh-huh. I remember in competition yeah like they're not I feel like they can just not bother with that mm-hmm. and it will be for the best yes um, well I have problems with your your sort of theory I do think yeah that that is that is a positive um and makes a stronger festival identity. I mean, you're right. Shoplifters played at Picture House. I think it's still playing. It's been out for like a month, and that's like a a two hour Japanese social realism film. So that's great. Yeah, it's got such an audience. Like, so I'm just looking at last year's Can lineup where they had The Beguiled, Good Time, Killing of the Sacred Deer, Myowit Stories, Oakja, uh, and You Were Never Really Here, and Wonderstruck other English language films. Mm-hmm. So that is like n- nothing about their quality. Are those competing for the Palm Door? Yeah, yeah, these are for the Palm Door. 
not talking about their quality wow. at all, but like there was nothing like that on this year's lineup. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe not as many people would have seen a killing of a sacred deer or the beguiled if it didn't have that can stamp on it. But I think they would have. They would have yeah. Done. I mean, those are pretty small films in the grand scheme of things. Um, so if Khan are going to use their powers to mm-hmm. for good, it should be for, I guess, yeah, the international. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but then like something like Good Time playing at Cannes is quite cool. They'll do their thing. They're all, it's always great. They they need to keep making bold moves. Uh, um, they're 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 succeeding where the Oscars are failing to create these controversies that are that pay off ridiculous but work. Yeah, yeah, like like hang on Netflix banning selfies on the red carpet. You know. Yeah. Uh, they've got identity. The Oscars identity is bland, but the Can identity, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. It's great. I was reading an article from like 2003 that was like, "Can is over." It was like there are no, <laughs> there were no good films this year, and we were just excited for Venice. Um, yeah, I just found that quite funny. But I think that, that might have been good. the year that Fahrenheit 9/11 won the Palme d'Or. Wow! Can you can you link that? Article? Yeah, I'll find I'll find it for you. <laughs> and cool. Shrek Two cool. was in competition. You can find it on the. Yeah, you can find that on the on the show notes. The hist- well, that's that Should, could be another yeah. judge. Judging can, judge can. Uh, oh yeah, come it, May. Did it, yeah, did it die in two thousand and three? Has it? Are we just in the half life of can now? I don't know, man. Like, Shoplifters was a really worthy winner. Uh, not the best film at can this year. Um, that's you'll hear about that in a minute. Uh, but. Um, <laughs> They like stuff like I Daniel Blake and D Pan being the winners in the past couple of years aren't really great choices. So that was our five each for five cases each for the overall case of 2018. How, how are you feeling about that? Well, I mean, there's as you said at the start, like there's been so much to talk about, there's so much stuff this year. We've really just scratched the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, we've we've not touched on Suspiria. We've barely talked about Mission Impossible Fallout. We haven't mentioned Ready Player One uh, or the failure of a wrinkle in time, etc. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, it has been a great year for film culture um, and there have been great films. Um, and I do feel a little more excited thinking about the year in, in this way. Um, than I did at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, I think it's been fun to not just think about it as a list of films, but, you know, how does those films kind of informed us? Yes, yeah, so, uh, yeah, time has come for our best film and most most promising film, or one to watch. Um, why, why didn't you go first? You're still mulling it over. over. Um, my... Yeah best film of the year it's always as as promised it's a can movie it's a it's a hitchcockian thriller it's lee chang dong's magnificent burning uh which hasn't hasn't had a proper uk release yet um just just played at the festivals but it's just amazing it's a slow burn two and a half hour uh 
<laughs> mind fuck uh, that that's just so low key and really just mysterious and seeps right into your into your pores. Um, and I think about it constantly. Um, I think the acting is tremendous, especially from from our boy Stephen Yeun, who's just someone else in it. You you have no idea if this guy is uh, just a super chill yuppie or a evil murderer, uh, and a sociopath. It's great, um, <laughs> and the music's brilliant. Um, I don't know what to tell you. It's 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 just it's just a, a, a the minute I saw it, I was just like, this is clean cut greatness. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's stuff like First Reformed and Black Klansmen are also some of my favourite movies, but they're kind of they're problematic, incoherent to some extent. But Burning is just like, you know, it's just a, a great movie. That's my number one. Wonderful. Okay. Um, do you want to say your recommended one or shall I say my best one? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you say your, your best one. Okay. Um, bear with me. I'm still. still All right. That's. I'll, I'll. I'll briefly recommend uh, Hale County this morning, this evening, uh, which was my favourite documentary of the year. Um, I talked about it before in the Sheffield uh, Doc first episode. Uh, it was a real surprise and a real treat. Uh, and I think it's it's it seems to be making its way into some conversations. Um, I know it was on film comments, top 10 list, um, but it's just this experimental, very natural documentary, uh, that sort of fragments of life in, in this town in Hale County, um, or life around Hale County. And I, and I just think it's, 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 um, it sees the world in a way that I haven't seen very much on film ever. And, and I think it's, it's great. Oh, great. So did that come out in UK cinemas? Um, I'm honestly not sure. I feel like it, it, if not, oh. it'll, it'll come or you can find okay. it somewhere. Cool. So, one to yeah. watch. Hmm. All right. Come on. Don't tease us with Love, Simon. We know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm rethinking everything. You're like, um, new Scamander. Am I? In the crimes of Grindelwald. Can't Is he pick indecisive? A side. Uh, oh, really? You can't pick yeah. a side. On the side side's quite clear <laughs> in that, which is good and which is bad. <laughs> yeah, it's not until the end of the crimes of Grindelwald that he's like, I've decided I'm going to be against Grindelwald. Okay. I haven't seen it. Um... Oh, you can't see it. <laughs> I've not met another <laughs> person that's seen it. <laughs> You've had a whole year. <laughs> you've had a year to decide no I've, I mean you know I've not had all the facts I'm still working on them you know still gotta um, yeah true um, I mean this is all stuff you can cut out anyway that's what I'm uh, banking on oh no none, none of this is getting cut out <laughs> I'm yeah. um so pretty much all year, um, I think, okay, so the choice I'm going to go with is Set It Up, the uh, Netflix romantic comedy uh, starring Zoe Dutch Whoa. and Glenn Powell, because falling in love takes some assistance, <laughs> and that's a, a pun on assistance, two uses <laughs> of that word, because um, they are also assistants that set up their bosses. 
Um, and I think pretty much all year Love, Simon was in the lead above that film, but I think <laughs> Set It Up just has the pacing and the pathos that, uh, uh, you know, I love that film. <laughs> Are you holding back laughter? <laughs> no, it's just such a you choice. <laughs> I'd underestimate Set It Up. <laughs> like, of course. Nice pick. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah tell, tell us more about Set It Up. Yes, I'm trying not to damp with faint praise, but I think it's just a very well-made, well-crafted uh, romantic comedy. Um, yeah, I already mentioned the pace is, is great. Um, and yes, I think a lot of the comment, like rom-coms are always quite closely associated with sort of careers and the corporations and climbing that ladder and achieving, achieving good things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it does. It does handle that stuff quite well. Yeah, it's kind of movie we don't see a lot, is it? No, um, I don't want to just say it's value in, in that it's it's bringing something that we haven't seen back. But that is that is its strength. That it, it nails a good formula. So better than better than shoplifters. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I feel like better is just quite. Uh, an abstract term, and I'm struggling with it. You know, I'm I'm my my best my top film is going to change in tomorrow, but today yeah. it's uh, back to it love, up. Simon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, and, and what film? What do you do? You want to recommend that? Um. So. Um, I think the film I'd like to recommend is American Animals, um, which is something I've really struggled with. When I left it, I felt quite almost disgusted with disgusted with Bart Layton's uh, sort of moralising <laughs> tone that he has and really loves. But my respect for it's only grown since I've seen it because it's just, you know, it's kind of doing an Errol Morris thing of challenging the nature of truth. But I think it really does do that in an exciting way, and it's got a lot of cute boys in it. Um, so I do want to see what he does next. I think he has done the successful half shift from documentary to fiction, and now let's see where else will shift to. Yeah, that, that movie really like lingered in my mind. I think mm-hmm. it's actually quite well done. Mm-hmm. Better than Widows, probably in terms of a heist movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I agree. Just as tense, it was a tense movie. It was really tense. Yeah, he really he did a really really good job. Um, I was yeah. It's a lot of fun, even when it's being kind of moralising and stuff, I think. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about the trailer, where they've got Alt-J <laughs> playing. Do they? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. But that's the kind of movie it is. Yeah. It's the kind of movie that would have Alt-J playing. <laughs> I'd ask what song, but <laughs> I don't know the songs. Um, yeah, no, it had a good trailer. It was a good film. Uh, it nailed both its documentary and its uh, its fictional parts. It's good, yeah. Yeah. It kind of sounds like it's your movie of the year. <laughs> no, because of the moralising no. stuff, there are things that I don't like about it. Um, yes. Set it up doesn't moralise. <laughs> no. It doesn't sort of comment <laughs> on whether it's right to set your boss up. <laughs> Yeah. Nice. Um, 
So that's our that's that's twenty eighteen. It's over. We can step straight into twenty nineteen mm-hmm. with the force of an iron giant mm-hmm. straight into twenty nineteen, um, where there'll be more Catholic movies. There's going to be uh, more Netflix movies. Hey, we might even get a, another few podcasts out of it. This has certainly been a year where Judge Movie started. Yeah. I think for that reason alone, that keeps Judge Movie, uh, that keeps 2018 out of Movie Jail. For sure. This was the year that uh, a legal system for judging movies was decided. Yeah, so thanks everyone for listening. Mm-hmm. It's uh, It's been a ride and we promise some more, more content coming soon. Yeah. Some more podcasts, some more... I don't know, social network media posts. <laughs> we, we might even start a Snapchat. <laughs> Maybe. I've, I only just found out that apparently Connie Jenner ruined Snapchat for a week when she said Snapchat's over. She did that. She had that power. Yeah. And they lost a lot of shares or something. Fair. That's a good power trip. She can just snap her fingers. Yeah. So we won't be on Snapchat. We'll be on TikTok, I think is what you mean. Oh, yeah, that would... Yeah. I hope TikTok survives into 2019. I didn't really get a chance to talk about how TikTok is uh, inspiring the next generation of filmmakers, but mm-hmm. hey. I'm kind of regretting that joke. I sound like a, I sound like a boomer. What? Uh, yeah, I thought you liked TikTok. Yeah, I do like TikTok. But I know, just... I don't know. You kind of, you know, the Steve Buscemi, hello, fellow kids. Not Snapchat, but TikTok, am I right? <laughs> that's how I feel right now. That's that's me, though. Like, that's literally, like, I just watch TikTok compilations, like, all fucking day long. Mm-hmm. All day long, mate. I think that's, that's yeah, I think 2018 has got me excited for the future of cinema. You know, you've got TikTok, you've got Bandersnatch, um, the screen media is going places. Yeah. TikTok is teaching people how to teaching film grammar to children. Uh huh. These kids are going to be so sophisticated in how they can put together uh, video images mm-hmm. and sounds, and and they can edit them on their phones. Like, films are going to be incredible. In like, well, they already are incredible. We've seen some great ones this year, but they're going to be even better. You know, there's going to be so much exciting stuff in the future. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. Hit or miss. <laughs> Movies never miss. <laughs> yep. That's what Judge Movie has to say. Yeah. That's the word from Judge Movie. We should do a full Judge TikTok. <laughs> we could and do. really go deep on TikTok. Okay. Yes, that's another. That could be the first episode of twenty nineteen. I mean, it could be, yeah. So it's a firm maybe from uh, Alicia on that one. Can we do it in season two? Um, as I said, it's it's a firm maybe. (laughs) Okay. Um, we'll 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 have to do our Detective (laughs) Pikachu episode first. Yes, good. 
What is Detective Chinatown 2, by the way? Have you heard of this? No. It's in Box Office Mojo's... It's the 14th highest grossing film this year. Um, And the poster is a horse-drawn carriage. But I've never heard of it. Chinese, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I mean, the poster I have is is two guys. I think they're drinking soda. Um, I don't know what you mean about a horse-drawn carriage. Well, it's the one on bo- the poster on Box Office Mojo. But this looks pretty cool. They've gone to America. Nice. Judge Are Detective you... Chinatown? Sorry, go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you think we need a sign-off? Or have we, got, have we done it? A sign uh, And keep judging movies. I'll edit, <laughs> I'll edit that into the... <laughs> uh, no, I think we had it with... That's, that's the word from Judge Movie, Hit or Miss or something. Unless... Oh, okay. I'm going to keep all this bit in as well. Though, I, I like it when you have to turn a podcast off like two minutes from the end. Yes. You know? Yes, it's always fun when you think it's over and you go to press something and then you realise there's, there's still room on that little scroll bar. That little yeah. Bar. You're like, what are they going to do for three minutes? Mm-hmm. Like, what's, what's left? And it's just this. Hit or miss, I guess they never miss, huh? You got a boyfriend, I bet he doesn't kiss ya He gon' find another girl and he won't miss ya He gon' stand and hit the dub like what's the You play with them balls like it's FIFA Well done for making it this oh. far uh, We, had, uh, got, we you. got you there uh, Still a lo- little bit more to come <laughs> Little bonus, bonus part Well done, you've reached the bonus level Achievement unlocked <laughs> <laughs> what's what's here then? What what have they made it to? <laughs> what they made it to is some uh, exciting links and reminders. Um, yes. You know. uh, if you enjoyed this episode, you can keep up to up to date with us. Find out about new episodes and things um, on Twitter and Instagram at Judge Movie Pod. Uh, and you can email us at judgemovie at gmail dot com for any you know general feedback that you don't want the people to see about, or if you've got any episode requests. Uh, hit us up anywhere really yeah if there's something you want us to talk about in 2019 or there's something you really disagreed about with us and want us mm-hmm. to address um so you said judge movie pod it's actually judge movie podcast at oh is it oh shit. that's all right you can find all that information on our, our wordpress which is also judge movie pod um dot wordpress.com and that's got all our contact yeah. info and things like that you're and, you're on twitter aren't you uh, I am on Twitter, yeah. Um, it's Alicia with two L's. Um, are, are you on Twitter? I can't, I'm I can't on remember. Twitter at Pesh underscore lives. Uh, but if you search Hotel for Dogs oh, 2, nice. I'm sure you'll find me. <laughs> um, I'm also on Letterboxd at Pemulus Zero. It's an infinite jest reference. Yeah. Nice. Classy. Um, uh, I'm on Letterboxd. Um, it's Izumi. Um, and there you'll find uh, some best of 2018 lists. Uh, I'm really struggling with it, but uh, you know, you'll find my attempt at a best of. Well, list. it's quite easy. Number one, the Details. set up, set them up. Number two, Love Simon. <laughs> and number three, American Animals. So, something like that, yeah. 
Um, you know, now that we've like said all these like uh, URLs and like usernames, I'm like, I should have just chosen one, you know, like one to carry me through all of these things. And then you'd have cross-platform people can find you, you know. I'm sure Mark Kermode is just um, Mark Kermode. Is he? Um, no, I think he's Kermode and Mayer. Oh, God. So he's not even one person. But, it, yeah. But I don't think you don't need to have, I mean, you could have the same thing on, on all the platforms, but, you know, you want the kind of audience member who will ferret out these things. That's true. Yeah. Right. We want the obsessives. Also, with Google. Stands. Yes. Yeah. Uh, also, with Google, you just put the name in and then they all come up. That's the thing. Right. That's the, the bloody yeah. thing. So, if you search Hotel for Dogs on too on Facebook, you'll find me. Or on uh, Flickr. <laughs> Flickr? That was the photo sharing, Flickr. right? Do you remember that? I remember that. that. People are still using that. I saw like people calling out for add to this album if you want to be featured in our photo wow. thing. So it's still. I just used to the images on there were so high quality compared to like ones on Facebook. Yeah. Like, how does how is a picture that high quality? How is that possible? I'm I'm impressed it's still going actually because that must take up a lot of servers. <laughs> yeah. And stuff. Does someone else not own it? Surely someone owns it. Maybe. Who's Maybe. those? The Getty photo Boys. Bucket. Uh, yes, Photo Bucket. That was a shit version, right? Yeah. yeah. You want a bucket of photos? Look no further. <laughs> <laughs> and it's someone with like their jeans rolled up makes... and stuff. <laughs> it makes me sad when I see like dead Photo Bucket links. Oh man, any dead link just makes me sad because I'm like, something was here once. I'll never find yeah. it. I'm like mm. fucking David Hemmings in Blow Up. It's my most used, compa- overused <laughs> comparison. <laughs> Just looking around. Where is it? Um, yeah. So you can find us at all those places um, if you're still listening for whatever strange reason. <laughs> um, maybe you're asleep right now. <laughs> Keep dreaming. Uh. S- Judge dreams. <laughs>